Amen. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10. As uh, we are, I'm sorry, we're in 1 Samuel yeah, chapter 10. And as we are turning to 1 Samuel chapter 10, or you're probably there, as I was uh, far behind all of you, uh, we are actually going to be looking at the anointing of a king. And as we look at this, right, we're, we're here to look at the anointed of God as well as the anointed people of God. And you know what? It's a sad thing. When, you really, when we look at the nation of Israel, right? When you, when you think about the fact that this nation had the king of kings to rule over them. Imagine that. They had God himself to rule over them. Yet, they chose to have an earthly king to rule over each and every one of them. And as we look at this, right, you can see their hearts as, as it's revealed to us here in 1 Samuel 8.20. It says, this was their request that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Imagine that their desire was to be like other nations. They wanted an earthly king to judge them. And we know how earthly kings are. Instead of having a king who is just, we know how man is. And yet they wanted a man to judge them and they wanted a man to fight their battles instead of having God fight their battles. Imagine. And this is what they wanted. They actually wanted an earthly king. And when we think about this, I actually think that, you know what, when we look at the nation of Israel, that we're very much like them at times, aren't we? When we're faced with trials and tribulations, instead of depending on God, instead of trusting God, we seek the help of others, right? We seek the help of people. We seek the help of, of our parents. We seek the help of our spouses, of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're looking for people to help us instead of God helping us. And this is what the nation of Israel was doing. They wanted to make their own plans. They wanted to fix their own problems. And basically, they were neglecting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they chose man. And I want you to know this, that when we are faced with any trials, when you're faced with any tribulation, when you're faced with any problems, it's God's desire that we would go to Him and only Him. It's God's desire that we would, we would seek Him, right? That, that we would just come to Him and allow Him to carry us through our problems. Look at what He says in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of us seek rest? I think most of us do, right? Most of us want rest. Most of us are looking for rest, especially when the trials are coming, when the storms are there, when you're going through problems, when there's issues at home or at your job or at your work or with people. You know what? We want rest. And this is what the Lord is saying, come to me. Don't seek the help of man. Don't seek the help of people. Seek my help. And we see that the nation of Israel, they were faced with an enemy, the Philistines, right? These were constantly on their backs. And so what they did is that, that, that they were fearful of the, of the Philistines and they wanted a king to judge them, as he says, to fight their battles, to rule over them. And so they looked and they sought a man. And so the nation was set on a king and they demanded a king. And we know one thing that God did is God would give them exactly what they wanted. And that's where we find ourselves today, the anointing of King Saul. So let's read chapter 10 and then we'll go ahead and expound on the various verses. It says here, beginning in verse one, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you, commanded over his inheritance. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys 
which you went to look for, have been found. And now your father has ceased from caring about the donkeys and is worried about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands. For God is with you. You shall go before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. When he saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. And Saul proclaimed, I'm sorry, then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversary, adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had cursed the tribe of Benjamin, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul the son of Kish was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has a man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him, whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts had touched, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. You know, as we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, you know, we read about the anointing of King Saul. And as we begin, right, let's go back to the first verse and let's, let's talk about the anointing. Because when we look at verse 1, it talks about a flask of oil that was poured on the head of Saul. 
And then it says there that Samuel took the flask and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? You know, the prophet Samuel, what he does is he anoints and he kisses the new king. And what I want to do is I want to spend some time on the events here. The anointing of King Saul. You know, when you look at who King uh, who Samuel anointed. Samuel was only God's representative, right? To anoint the new king. And let me share this with all of you. It wasn't Samuel that chose Saul. It was God that chose Saul. And we must always remember this. It was God that chose Saul. And look at what it says in 1 Samuel 9, 16. This is where it reveals to us that God chose Saul. It says, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So we see here that God is the one that chose King Saul. And so what Samuel was doing was that he was anointing the leader that God has chosen. And I want you to know one thing about today's leaders. The leaders that are called and that you see before you, they are really leaders that God has chosen. I want you to understand that it is God who chooses leaders. The same principle that happened back then is the same principle that applies today. The only thing that we do as that I do as a pastor, that the leaders do here, is that we agree and acknowledge with who God has raised up. And see, it is God that always chooses leaders. I, I'm not the one that says, oh, you know what, you're going to be a leader. It's really God that puts it upon their hearts, that puts his desire in their hearts. And it is God that chooses the leaders that are in the churches. And we know that some of you may say, but you know what, there's some ungodly leaders, right? There's some leaders that are practicing sin. Well, I'm going to share this with you. If they're doing that, God will bring them down. God is the one that raises up and he's the one that brings them down, just like he did with King Saul. It's not up to us as people to begin to point out sins in leaders. You know, we're not the ones that are, that are here to say, you know what, we're taking them down. You know what, there is a, a, a protocol when it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to leaders that are sinning, when it comes to pastors that are sinning. You know what, the leaders aren't going to hear any of any accusation unless there's two or three witnesses. Because this, I mean, many times there's, there's people that don't like leaders for whatever reason. They don't like what they say. They don't like how they look at them. They don't like the things that they do. They don't like what they wear. And so they want them out. And so unless there's two or three witnesses, we're not going to hear any accusation against any leader. And we know one thing that if a leader is sinning, God will reveal it and God will take them down. So let's talk about the anointing. Okay, I want to talk about three points when it comes to the anointing. I'm going to talk about the anointing oil because we see here a flask of oil that was poured over the head of Saul. We're going to talk about the anointed people of God. Okay, and we're also going to talk about the great anointed one. So let's first talk about the anointing oil. When you look at the anointing oil, we see that Samuel the prophet, who was also a judge, who was also a priest, he takes a flask of oil. He takes like a, a you know what, a jar, like, I mean, you know, it's just like this, uh, like a perfume bottle, right, of oil. And what he does is he takes the oil and he pours it over the head of Saul, okay? And what does the oil, what does the oil symbolize? Okay, what is it that oil symbolizes? Oil doesn't, you know, oil at the time, we know that it comes from, from olives and, and we know that uh, as it comes from this, you know, they, they used it for a specific purpose, See, the oil from the Old Testament symbolized the one that was chosen and empowered by God for a particular service. And most importantly, for a divine service. So when we look at the various offices in the Old Testament, you have a priest, you have a king, and you have prophets. And every single one of them, when they were called to office, they would have oil that was poured over their head. And as we, as we talk about this, I want to give you some scriptures so that you can, so that you can see what I'm talking about. In Exodus 29.7, when it talks about the priests, 
It says, you shall have the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. When you talk about prophets in 1 Kings 19.16, it talks about how Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So you see here, there was an anointing of oil that would come upon their head. And as we're looking at the same with King Saul, how he was anointed by Samuel. And again, it symbolized, it symbolized basically the one that was chosen and empowered by God for a particular service, for a divine service. When it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to us, right? Because we have the Old Testament, then we have the New Testament church. The church was birthed at the ascension of Jesus Christ. So as the church is birthed, right? We're talking now about the New Testament. Do we still use oil today? We use oil today, but the oil that we use today is for the anointing of the sick. See, oil today is, is symbolizing the healing power of God, the, the power that is released from the Holy Spirit. And we see that the disciples were doing this, right? In the New Testament, during the time of Jesus, they were anointing the sick with oil. It says here in Mark 6, verse 13, it says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So we see here that, you know what, as the oil, the oil just symbolized the power of God. It wasn't that the oil did the healing. It was a, the power of God that was symbolized, that, that, that was represented with the oil. We know that after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, James wrote to us, and he says here, 5 verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we see here that oil is used today, but it's used mainly for healing. Okay? So we know that in the Old, in the Old Testament, it was used to, you know what, uh, to, re, uh, to represent, as they put it on the heads of, of priests and, and leaders and, and prophets and kings. You know, it was used to symbolize or to represent those that were chosen and empowered by God. So what about today? What do we do with pastors and leaders today, deacons and, and those that are called to serve and to lead ministries? What we do today is we don't pour a flask of oil over their heads. You know what we do today? We lay hands on them. Okay? And this is what we see happening today, right? When you see somebody that is called for a particular service, when someone is called for a divine service, when someone is called to pastor, to shepherd, or to lead a church or a ministry, we lay hands on them. See, the laying of hands symbolizes the person's authority as well as his appointment to a special task, right? The divine service that he's been called to do. And here is the scriptures. Look in Acts 13, beginning in verse 2. There's not oil that is poured over their heads, but there's a laying of hands on those that the Holy Spirit calls. It says there, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Them having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent him away. So as we see here, there's a laying of hands, right? We also know that in the Old Testament, going back to the Old Testament, they also used to lay hands. But they were laying hands on people. What were they laying hands on? On animals, right? On offerings, on sacrifices. And why were, people, why were the priests and people laying hands on these animals and sacrifices? You know what that symbolized? It symbolized the transfer of man's sin and guilt upon the animal that was about to be sacrificed. That's what that symbolized. Today, do we still lay hands on animals? No, why? Why don't we lay hands on animals today? Because Jesus Christ was the final and the perfect sacrifice. There's no more sacrifices of animals to, you know what, to take away sin. You know what, it's Jesus Christ that did it on the cross. Let's talk about now the anointed people of God. I want to give you a scripture here. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. What John is speaking to, he's speaking to believers here. Okay, I want you to know this, that us as believers, we are the anointed people of God. See, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ becomes the anointed of God. I want you to understand that it's not just for the kings and the priests and the prophets. 
See, you and I, when we believe in Jesus Christ by faith, what happens to us is that we receive a special anointing from God. And this is who? The, the Holy Spirit, right? It says here in Ephesians 1, verse 13, it says, In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, I want you to know that you and I are the anointed of God. It's just, you, it's just because you're not a king or a priest or a prophet doesn't mean that, that you don't have the anointing of God. When you become a believer, you are now the anointed of God. All of us as believers, those, that, those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now the anointed of God. But I also want to share this with you because Jesus also refers to you as kings and priests. Look at what he says here in Revelation chapter 5 verse 10. He says, and having made us kings and priests to our God, we shall reign on the earth. He has a reference to us as kings and priests. And we also know in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where he talks about that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So as a reminder, we are the anointed of God. I want you to also know this. As I told you, I would give you a third point when it comes to the anointed. There is also one great anointed one. And who is this? This is Jesus Christ. I want you to know this, that Jesus Christ is referred to as what? The Messiah. Okay? Did you know that Jesus Christ is referred to as the Messiah? And what is it that Messiah means? Messiah means anointed one. See, Jesus Christ has been the anointed and empowered one by God to deliver His people and to establish his kingdom. And this is why Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Remember he has been called to deliver. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And so as we look at this, right, we, we now have a better understanding of the anointing, the anointing oil, the fact that you and I are the anointed one, what oil symbolizes, and, and most importantly, who the great anointed one is, which is Jesus Christ. But it also tells us one other thing. It tells us that Samuel kissed Saul, okay? What does this mean when he kissed Saul? You know, when we, when we think about this, right, I mean, it, it, for us, it, you know, it's sort of weird to have a man kissing another man. But you know what? It was very symbolic what he did here. Basically, what Samuel was doing, he was paying homage to Saul, meaning that he was giving him special honor as well as respect. Samuel was paying his respect to the king that God had chosen. This is why he was kissing him. And as we look at the anointed one, King Saul... Remember this, even though King Saul was not the perfect king, we know that about King Saul, right? We know that, that King Saul had many flaws. He wasn't the perfect king. He wasn't the one that, that rose to the occasion and, and, li and became that, that perfect king over Israel. We know that he had a lot of shortfalls. He had, you know what, this man was extremely unstable. He was an, an emotional man. He was high and low. He was, he was hot and cold. He was just all over the place, right? One day he was repenting. The other day he was a murderous madman. And so we see with Saul that he was all over the place. But one thing about Saul is that we must always remember that it was God that chose Saul. And because God chose Saul, he was the anointed of God and King David remember this when David was also in the, when when basically when God told King Saul we have stripped you I have stripped the kingdom away from you because of your disobedience because of your rebellion I strip it away from you and he gave the anointing to King David but remember David's heart with King Saul and this is what when, when you look at a man like King David this is the many lessons that we learn from King David. And when we get into King David and King Saul, as we're, as we're getting, we're right at the tip of, uh, of getting into King Saul and King David. Remember this. The lessons that we can learn from King David is that he never came against the anointed of God. He knew that God had chosen King Saul 
and he would not lay his hands on King Saul. Remember, there were, remember King Saul, he hunted down, he was hunting down King David like a wild animal. You know what? He stole so many years away from King David. King David couldn't, you know what? He wasn't at peace. He couldn't be with his family. He wasn't at rest. He was always looking over his shoulder, looking out for King Saul because he knew that King Saul was after him. And you know what? As he met up with King Saul, there was twice that he he was there with King Saul. And he could have taken him out and he had every right to take out King Saul, King David. He had every right to do it, right? I mean, he could have retaliated. I mean, he could have just said, you know what? This man is out to kill me. I'm going to get him first before he gets me. But did you know that King David knew that God had chosen Saul? And because God had chosen Saul, he says, I will not lay my hands on him because that is who God has chosen. And if God wants to take him down, then God will take him down. And this is a lesson for all of us. The anointed of God, whoever God has anointed, whoever God has called as a shepherd, understand this, that God will take him down. And what we see here is we see this great lesson from a man who was ready to be king and he knew that if I take him out today, that if I take out King Saul, then that means that the kingdom will be mine and the kingdom will be his. But yet, he didn't lay a hand on King Saul. Look at what King David did to the man that did lay his hands on King Saul. Remember when King Saul fought against the Philistines. And remember, this was a battle where the sons of Saul were killed. And we also know that many people, the nation of Israel was defeated and, the, and many people died. And, and Saul himself was wounded, was wounded to the point of death. And it tells us in 2 Samuel how this Amalekite, he found Saul. And Saul basically tells him to, to take him out. And, and what's, what the Amalekite does is, is he goes ahead and he, and he takes out King Saul. And look at what David says to this Amalekite. He says, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Weren't you afraid to... To lay your hand on who God had chosen? And then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute this Amalekite. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head. For your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. The lesson that you have here is the fact that, you know what? Let God bring down who God has chosen. And He will. You know what, we don't have to muster up a a group of people and and start spreading gossip about all these things that maybe leaders are doing. Let God reveal it. Let God bring them down. And believe me, God does this. God will deal with sin. God will deal with rebellion. He will make sure that it's taken, that it's handled. Nothing is left unchecked with the Lord. As we move on, verse 2. It says, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilzal. And they will say to you, the donkeys which, the donkeys which you set, which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? You know, as we come here, right? I want you to know this. I want you to, to understand that somehow Saul was not fully convinced that he was king over Israel. And, so, and because King Saul wasn't fully convinced that he was king over Israel, that basically what we have here is that we have Samuel letting him know that, you know what, I'm going to show you some signs. I'm going to show you some signs to prove to you that you have been called by God. That you are the anointed of God. And basically what you have is, is you're going to have three signs that, that Samuel tells Saul. And I want to talk about signs. I want to talk about confirmation. Okay? One thing that God knows about us is He knows about 
our, just our lack of trust, our doubts. He knows that we have an enemy that when God has called us to do something that he's going to whisper in your ear. And many times you don't, you don't know it's the enemy because you can't see the enemy. Remember, we're in a battle as I've been sharing with you. We have an enemy that we can't see. And so as this enemy whispers in your ear, you, don't, you sometimes don't believe that it's the enemy talking to you. And so you have doubt with God's calling upon your life. Now, if you saw the enemy speaking to you, then you would say, oh, it's the enemy. I'm, gonna, not gonna pay, I'm not going to pay attention to it. But because you can't see the enemy, sometimes you think, you know what? You know what? Maybe it is true. Maybe I haven't been called. Maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe, you know what? It, this is all me. And so what we look for is we look for confirmations, right? This is what we want. We want confirmations. When it comes to the assignments that God gives us. When, when God calls us to do something, we look for confirmation. I'm going to share with some of you, and I know some of you aren't aware of this. You know, when, when God first called me to begin the work here in La Puente. You know what? I started a, fi- a Friday night Bible study, right? And when this Friday night Bible study began to grow, it, it began, you know, we started having kids start, uh, started coming. We you know, we started having people coming and we, you know, it just began to grow and grow and people started wanting to make this now their home church. And we were only a Friday night Bible study. People wanted to start tithing and, and you know, we were only a Friday night Bible study. And, and so, you know what? I didn't want to move ahead. I wanted God's confirmation. I wanted God to speak to me. I, you know what? I didn't want to move ahead, especially when I knew this was a work of God here in La Puente. I wanted to make sure that God was in it and that it wasn't just me or that, you know what, even though I saw all these things going on, right, I still didn't want to move ahead. I wanted to to make sure that God was the one that was moving. And so I asked, you know, as, as I, as all these signs were there, right, with the people, with the tithing, with people calling this their home church, you know what, I still, you know what, wanted his confirmation. And so I was asking the Lord to to give me more confirmation and more confirmation. And really what I was asking for is I was asking for Him to speak to me through His Word. And I want you to know this, that whenever you are searching for God's confirmation, don't be looking for signs, okay? Look to God's Word for that confirmation. Because signs can mean so many things. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is from God. Because there's people that make decisions based on signs and yet they don't hear from the Word of God. And they make a decision based on a sign. And a sign doesn't necessarily mean that it's from God. But when you know that it comes from God's word, then you know that in fact that is from God. And for me, you know what? I I didn't want to start this work. And I was just like Moses, right? When Moses said, you know what? Unless, Unless your presence goes with us, we're not going. And so for me, I kept, you know what? I was, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I need confirmation. I need your word to speak to me. And God would give me words, right? He would give me verses and, and they would speak to me. And these verses were, were basically confirming what God wanted me to do. But, but I was like, you know what, Lord? I need you to speak clearly on, with, uh, clearly on this one. I want you to speak clearly from your word. I don't want to just, you know what, say, okay, you know what? I think this is what you're saying. I really need you to speak clearly from your word. And this is the verse that he gave me. He gave it to me from Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. He says, speaking of Abraham, he said, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. You may be thinking, well, you know what? How does that apply to me? See, I want to share this with you because God's word is alive, because it's living See, this word was specifically for me. And let me give you some insight here. What happened to me is that God had already made a promise to me. See, there was a time when I was coming back from Ohio and I was on a plane. And I was reading the book called Harvest about the Calvary Chapel pastors. And when I finished the book, the desire of planting a church, the desire of pastoring a church was already in my heart. And so what I did is I asked the Lord, Lord, if you truly have, if you have truly called me to pastor a church then give me a dream. Give me a dream about the church that you have called me to pastor. 
And so I fell asleep on the plane, and of course, I didn't have the dream. So I thought, okay, Lord, you know what? When I woke up, I was extremely depressed. And I said, then, you know what, Lord? Then it has all been me. You know what? This is all me mustering it up, right? This is my flesh that wants this, right? This isn't from you. And believe me, when I got home, I saw my wife, and all I wanted to do was sleep. I was so depressed because I really believed God was calling me to do this. And so I fell asleep, and lo and behold, guess what? He gives me the dream that evening. The dream was just so real that my wife, as I'm remembering, right, my wife, I was, I was crying because in my dream, the dream had finished. He had given me a vision of the church. He gave me a vision of this church, of all of you, right, of all the people that were there. And the dream ended, and I cried, and I was crying, and I was sobbing. And my wife is, are you okay, Tony? Are you okay? And, and I just got out of the dream, and I told her, you're not going to believe this. So I gave her, you know what, what I had asked God to do. And after that, after that, you know what, I knew that God had called me. See, God had given me a promise. And so when I read Romans 4, verse 20... Now it makes sense to all of you. See, he wasn't speaking about Abraham. He was speaking to me. He was telling me that, I, that he did not waver at the promise through that, that, I'm sorry, where he says there, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. See, what God was telling me was that the promise that he gave me of the church, he was able to perform this, and he did not want me to waver anymore at this promise through unbelief. He actually wanted me now to step out in faith, just like Abraham stepped out in faith and left his homeland and left, you know what, his, his, his family and everything, believing what God had called him to do. And this is exactly what God was telling me. God was telling me now, you know what, go out. Don't waver. I'm able to fulfill the promise that I gave you. See, God calls every single one of us for service. I want you to know that. All of you have been given gifts by God. And I want you to understand this, that God, as He calls us for service, I know some of us look for confirmation, don't we? Some of us are saying, you know what, Lord, I don't know if this is really from you. Lord, give me a sign. Give me... Confirm to me, speak to me through your word. And we know one thing in that is that God will confirm just like he was confirming with King Saul. He says, I'm going to show you these three signs. And, and after you see these three signs, you will believe. See, for us, I want you to understand this, that God will confirm what he has called you because he knows how we waver as people. He knows how we doubt things. He knows how we may not believe certain things. And so as we have this, right, understand this is that God will send people to you to speak to you, to confirm what he has called you to do. God will speak to you, you through his word to confirm what he has called you to do. God will continue to give you peace by his spirit in your heart with what God has called you to do. And so what is he calling you to do today? You know, as you think about this, right, God is expecting us to step out in faith and to begin to walk in whatever He has called us to do. And I want to share this with you. Don't look for all these signs. Because there are many people that look for signs. They want signs and, and signs. And you know what? If You know what? Certain things, right? When we look at King Saul, right? The signs that God gave him. What were the signs that He gave him? He spoke through Samuel. It wasn't the signs. It was the words that came out through Samuel. That's what it was. God said, God's word spoke through Samuel and all Samuel did was say, this is what's going to confirm to you. So it was actually God's words that went out through Samuel that confirmed the calling of Saul. And after this, Saul was encouraged. And so as we look at these signs, let's look at them, right? Let's, let's read them quickly. So we don't... Because we're, we're running out of time. It says here in verse 2, When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilzal. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward. 
from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a string instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands. For God is with you. The three signs. Two men by Rachel's tomb. That was the first sign. And they will tell you that the donkeys are found and your father is concerned about you. The second one was that you will meet three men at the terebinth tree. Men carrying young goats, men with three loaves of bread, and a man carrying a skin of wine. And they will give you two loaves of bread. And then the third one was this. When you get to the city, you will meet a group of prophets. So these were the three signs, right? And the, the prophets would be with stringed instruments, tambourines, flute, harp, and they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Okay? When you look at these signs, I really believe that through these signs, God was revealing something about himself to Saul. You think about this, right? Why would God give these signs and and not really have much meaning behind it? See, these signs, as it says in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, it says, For God is with you. He wanted to make sure that that Saul understood that God was with him. And so when you look at the first sign, right, about the two men at, by Rachel's tomb, I really believe that, that, that God was letting Saul know that he sees and knows everything. This is what God was telling him. Think about it this way. We know that God is omniscient, right? God knows all things. And this is what he was showing Saul, that I know all things. See, aren't we glad that we serve a God that knows all things? Because if he didn't know all things, then someone would have to teach him. And would he truly be a God if you would have to teach him? See, this is what we see here, right? Is that God was showing Saul that he knows all things. The second thing that he was trying to show Saul, when he showed him that these three men that were carrying goats, bread, and wine, that one of them would give you two loaves of bread. You know what God was telling Saul there? That God provides. That you don't have to worry about anything, right? That God's going to provide all things. See, you just need to trust and believe. And this was a sign that he was giving them, right? That God will provide all things for you. For those of you that know, you know what, for me, I, I, I just, you know, became a full-time pastor, right? I, I was bivocational for, for the last eight years. And, and just in July, I, I, I became full-time. I, I left my job and I left, to serve all of you. You know what? This was definitely an act of faith, right? I had to trust in God that God will provide for my family. And let me share this with you. The salary that I used to earn before compares nothing to the salary that I get today. But I'm going to share this with you. I trust in God that He provides all things. That God will make a way for me to have everything that I need. You know, I did come from a very lucrative job. I, I worked for a German company. And working for this German company, they paid me well. They gave me a pension. They gave me a 401k. You know, my salary, just so you know, was $160,000 a year. I got a free car. I got free insurance. I got the best medical insurance that anyone can have. And yet, I trust in God that He's going to provide all things. See, and this is, this is what God was teaching Saul. That don't worry about anything, right? You come from, remember, a well-to-do family. You have all of that, but guess what? Serving me, serving me is, you're going to be, you're going to have everything provided for you. You don't have to worry about these things. The third one was this, with a group of prophets. He was letting Saul know that God would give Saul power, that he would receive God's power. The power of God will fall upon him. And let me share this with you. This is the spirit of God that falls upon him. 
Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 with the disciples, the 120 that were in that upper room. Remember when the Spirit of God fell upon him in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Look at what it says here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you become a witness for God. See, you are giving a gift that manifests the Spirit of God because the gift that you have, it can only come from God. You know what? When, when I'm up here teaching you and I'm up here speaking before you, I want to share this with you. I was terrified of speaking in front of people. When I went to college, you know what? I went to college and I took a speech class. How many of you that are attending college had to take a speech class your freshman year? Every single one of you, when you first start in school, you have to take a speech class. And did you know that I was so terrified, I barely passed that class, I got a C-. minus. I could not even look at the people. I was so intimidated by speaking in front of people. And so when we look at this, right, when you look at what God has done, as God has come upon me, right, as, he's, as He gives us a gift, and whatever gift it is, He wants you to walk in it, and He wants you to walk in confidence in it, because it's His gift. It's not your gift. It's His gift that He's given to you. And we know this through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We're going to read about the various gifts because I want you to know that when you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as we talk about the anointing, you have a gift. And that gift is to be used for service, for the, for the church, wherever you're at. It's to be used so that God can be glorified, so that you can be a witness for Him. Look at what it says here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills there are additional uh, there are additional gifts as well as some of these gifts repeated in romans chapter 12 from verse 6 through 8 if you want to look at those there's also other gifts that are written in ephesians chapter 4 verses 10 through 11 and i want to share this with you every single one of you receives at least one gift did you know that each one of you have at least one gift there's some of you that have multiple gifts but there's some of you that at least receive one gift and when we see here right we see that the spirit of god came upon him that saul was able to prophesy with them and i want you to know this that saul was not one of the prophets of samuel he was only given this as the spirit of god came upon him for this very moment but it also says this that saul was turned into a new man i want you to know this that for us when we give ourselves to jesus christ We become new creations, right? Old things pass away. All things become what? Brand new. We're new creations. But what you're seeing here in the Old Testament is not the same thing that happens in the New Testament. When it talks about Saul being this or becoming or turning into this new man, I want you to know this. This was not what... He didn't become a new man. Basically, what this references is that he was able now to perform the responsibilities that were given to him as a king. Because the Spirit of God did not come upon a man to stay with a man. The Spirit of God would come and he would depart. It wasn't until the New Testament, the New Testament into the, not until the New Testament church was birthed, that the Spirit of God would stay with man. And this is what Joel used to, talked about in chapter 2, verse 28, where it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. He was talking about the New Testament. That's when the Spirit of God would come. And so let's move on to verse 8 and see what he says. He goes on to say, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Let me share this with you. Saul was given instruction. 
Saul was asked, you know what? Go to Gilgal and wait for me seven days. I will come and I will offer burnt offerings as well as sacrifices. When this happened, when Saul leaves here, he goes to Gilgal. And I want you to know this. He doesn't obey Samuel. Right from the get-go, Saul was given instructions. And immediately he disobeyed. We're going to cover this in chapter 13. But this is why God talks about obedience. In His servants, in His anointed, He looks for obedience. And if you're not going to obey the Lord, then guess what? Then you're not yielding to the Spirit of God. And for us, as a people of God, we, have, we are called to yield to the Spirit. We are called to obey the Lord. Let's keep moving on. In verse 9 it says, So it was, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. This other heart, I want you to know this. It's not giving him a new heart the way he gives us a new heart. The heart that he's talking about is that he gave him now just a different outlook. He, now, he was encouraged because all of these signs came to pass. And he had now an encouraged heart, a new outlook. He had new vision. He understood what his calling was from God. Verse 10 goes on to say, And when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among men. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, Is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? I want you to know what this means. See, the other signs weren't given detail, right? But the sign of the prophets was. And he gave this sign to show us the significance of what was going on here. When you talk about a proverb, what does a proverb mean? It basically means a new tr truth, right? A wise truth, a, a truth that has been given forth from God. And these people were so moved by seeing, saw that he was prophesying, that they said, you know what, this is out of character. Saul, we know Saul. And for Saul to be prophesying with these other prophets, that's not like Saul. So basically, this is what this proverb meant, right? This was the, what, what they was, that, that was said of people that were out of character. They would say, is Saul among the prophets? To identify people that were doing something that was out of character. Today, out of character, they would say OOC, right? That's what that stands for, out of character. That person is OOC. They would not say, is Saul among the prophets? They would say, he's OOC. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 says, And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. And when he saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel said. You know what? Saul meets up with his uncle, who knew Samuel. Saul's uncle knew Samuel. And he says, what did Samuel say to you? And Saul just says, you know what? He just told me about the donkeys. But Saul never revealed anything about the kingdom. Let's keep reading. Verse 17 goes on to say, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord and Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, said a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So now we have the announcement. The announcement of King Saul. And so what Samuel does is Samuel calls all the people to Mizpah. Right? And what he does is he speaks on behalf of the Lord. And he reminds the people, you know what? I took you guys out of Egypt. I'm the one that delivered you from your adversities, from your oppression, from those who oppressed you. 
And you, and, and you still rejected me and you wanted and requested a king. And so this is what's happening here. Let's keep reading. Verse 20 goes on to say, And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the, caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has a man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. When we look at this, I want you to know this. Samuel already knew that King Saul, that Saul was chosen to be king. But what he does here, he does something interesting, right? What he does is he brings all the tribes together. And basically he himself doesn't say, okay, King Saul, I want you to come forward. What he does is he allows God to choose to bring King Saul as their king. And you know how he does this? More than likely he uses lots. How many of us have heard of lots, right? How they chose lots when they were choosing, you know, people for certain assignments. Remember when Judas had hung himself. And in Acts chapter 2, remember they were looking for the apostle to replace Judas. And what did they do? They cast lots. And guess who was chosen? It was Matthias, right? And so as they cast lots, that's more than likely what they did here. Because I want you to know this, that King Saul himself cast lots when, it, when, he, was, when he was talking about Jonathan. As Jonathan had, had eaten the honey. And so we see that casting lots was, was a custom that they used in the Old Testament. So more than likely, that's what they did. I don't know if you know this about, King Lot, about, about lots. Do you know what lots are? Many people, we don't really know what lots were. All we know is that lots were used to choose people, to choose tribes. We don't know if they were sticks. We don't know if they were stones. We don't know if they were coins. But it's like to us, for us today, right? A flipping of a coin. You say, okay, you know what? Either you're going to go or I'm going to go. Let's flip a coin. That's what lots were, right? Lots... But we don't really know if they were sticks, if they were stones, or if they were coins. And so, for us, I want to bring this back to us, right? When it comes to things that the Spirit of God is asking us to do, do we flip a coin? We have the Holy Spirit that tells us, right? We have the Holy Spirit that confirms things to us. But what happens here is, is you see that the lots... Go from the tribe of Benjamin to the family of, uh, 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 of, 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 of Saul, right? As he says here, it's a, it's a family of Matri. And then the law goes all the way down to Saul. And this is only God because God had chosen him. Remember, he had chosen him and he had talked about him. And he went all the way down to Saul. And what happens to Saul? Where is Saul? We just read. What is Saul doing? Saul is hiding. Can you believe this? Remember, Saul was encouraged by the three signs, but now he's hiding. Remember what I shared about King Saul? King Saul was extremely unstable. Remember, this man was hot and cold. This man at times was a a murderous madman, and at other times, he was a repentive man. One thing about King Saul is that he was, he was definitely not temperate. Remember when Goliath came? What was Saul doing? Saul was doing the same thing he was doing here. He was hiding. All the people and the men of Israel, they were all afraid. They didn't want to be seen to be chosen to go out and fight against Goliath. Remember, this is the anointed of God. This is the one that had the three signs to confirm to him that he was the anointed of God. I want you to know one thing. And believe me, we as a people 
behave like King Saul. We lose confidence in God's calling upon our lives. I do this many times. When I'm up here, I'm just like, God, I don't even know. You know what? I, you know what? I, it's not my words that I have to speak. It's your words. And there's voices that are here that are saying, you know what? You are just boring the people to death. Or you know what? Or nobody's listening to you. And I'm losing. You know what? I, these are voices that come in my ears, right? And, and I know that this isn't the voice of God. God is saying, just have confidence. This isn't your gift. This is my gift. These are my words. Whatever gifts you have, whether it's gifts of helps, gifts of administration, of tongues or whatever, don't doubt the gifts. Don't, don't feel embarrassed about the gifts. God wants us to walk in confidence with the gift that He has given you. Saul was hiding behind the equipment. Imagine this, the new king of, of Israel was hiding even though he, re- he had seen the signs, even though he was confident, he had this, this new heart that God had given him, he was still lacking confidence. Let me assure each one of us regarding the gift that God gives us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, meaning serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Understand this, that any gift that you have, it has been given to you by God. There's no pride for us to take when it comes to the gifts. Because they're not your gifts. These are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts that God gives. They're His gifts and all you got to do is exercise them with boldness. Trusting in God, knowing that it is He that's going to do the work. It is He that is going to do. And so as we move on, verse 24 says, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see Him who the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like Him among the people. Samuel had to convince the people, Who wants to have a king that is hiding behind the equipment? Who wants to have a king that is going to lead them, that is afraid to come out? Nobody wants that, right? So what does Samuel have to do? Samuel says, look at his appearance. He may look like a king, right? He's tall, he's above, shoulder, he, he, from his shoulders up, he's taller than anyone else. He's handsome, he's good looking, he looks like a king. And, and, and Samuel was just assuring them, look, he has the appearance. But we know when it came to his heart, this was the, 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 the king that people wanted. As we finish up here in verse 25, it says, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote in it a book and laid, in it, laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man lead us or save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. You know, Samuel begins to explain the behavior of a king, not only for the people, but also for King Samuel. And we know that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, beginning in verse 14 through 20, we have the words of God here, the instructions as to how a king should perform. And I know that that Samuel would have written some of these words down. But as we see here, it ends how? It ends with men that are joining King Saul, but it also ends with men that do not accept Saul as their king. You know, when it comes to this, God is reminding us as He ends with this, you know what? When God chooses a man, whether you like it or not, these are the anointed of God. These are who God has chosen And as David himself told the Amalekite, who gives you the right to come against God's anointed? You know what? As we look at this, right? Let us remind, it reminds us, you know, that when God chooses, when God anoints us, you know what? It is God who does the choosing. And all we do as men is we acknowledge the man that God chooses. And we follow And we allow this man, these men to lead us. And we pray and hope that these men 
would be yielded to the Lord, that they would have a fear of the Lord, and that they would be surrendered to the Lord. And as we look at this, let us always have these words in our memory and in our hearts. And with that, let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us about the anointing, Lord. Speaking to us about the oil. Speaking to us about us as people, as your anointed. Speaking to us about you, the anointed one. Lord, as we saw Saul that was that was lacking trust and confidence in you. Let us not lack confidence when it comes to the gifts that you have given us. Let us boldly walk and exercise the gifts that you have given, the manifestation of the Spirit. As we read some of these gifts, Lord. Lord, let us remember that these are your gifts that you give. These aren't man's gifts. These aren't man's doing. These are not man's workings, but these are yours. If there's anyone here, as we looked at this, we talked about having an anointing, and the anointing comes when you become a child of God, when you come to Him by faith, when you surrender to Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here that that wants to do this now, if there's anyone here that wants to surrender yourself to Him, to receive His anointing, to receive His protection, to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, to be forgiven of your sins, and to spend eternity with God. I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now? Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone here? Anyone? Anyone? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else besides this one? Anyone else wanting to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? You know what God does? He promises to give you a new life. Old things pass away. All things become brand new. He does give us a new heart. He does give us a new life. He gives us His Spirit to do this work in us, to transform you and to make beauty out of ashes. Anyone else wanting to, wanting to surrender yourself by faith to Jesus Christ? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, you see these three that have raised their hands. I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I invite you into my heart. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Anything that I have done to separate you from me, I ask that you forgive me. Holy Spirit, give me the power to live for Christ. Heavenly Father, continue to pour out your mercy and your grace upon my life. Thank you for sending your Son to die for me and to set me free. You are my Savior and you are my Lord. And from this day forward, I will do as you say. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know what? For those...